0: Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Objective Health. I am your host, Doug, and with me in our virtual studio are Erica and Elliot. Hello. And in the background on the ones and twos, keeping it real, is Damien. Hello. So today we decided we would do a show about masks. Again, uh, it is getting kind of tiresome. However... There has been some interesting recent news that has come out, Anybody who's watched any of our past shows about COVID, about uh, masks, all those sorts of things, um, is probably familiar with our stance on it, which is the stance that is aligned with science and truth, objective truth, as it were, um, that masks are bullshit. So... Um, and in fact, actually, I'll mention this. If you if you do have the chance, you should listen to our show with uh, Denis Rancor because he was excellent and uh, really broke down a lot of the science on the masks um, as well as other things about the the pandemic in general. So if you do have a chance, you should go check out our past show on that. Um, but yeah, um, recently, I mean, I guess the big news um which I might throw off my co-hosts here because it's not the first article that we were going to talk about, but um, there was an article on The Federalist um, called CDC finds overwhelming majority of people getting coronavirus wore masks. Um, And I think that this is kind of the biggest news because it was a big study by the Centers for Disease Control in the US. Um, It was released in September and they... Compared 154 case patients who tested positive for COVID 19 to a control group of 160 participants from the same healthcare facility who were symptomatic but tested negative. And over 70% of the case patients were contaminated with the virus and fell ill despite always wearing a mask. So, yeah, I mean, what more do you really need, guys? Like 70% of the people who came down with COVID, always wore a mask.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, if if it's true, then, uh, then it very much flies in the face of everything that we're told about the importance of masks and how mm-hmm. they can maintain someone's safety against the virus. Now, I, I just, you know, guess kind of being devil's advocate here to some extent. Uh-oh is that <laughs> no is that you know this kind of study it's you know the question is how many of these people were like were genuinely telling the truth with regard to whether they wore masks yeah. right because if they if they're meant to wear masks and they are given a questionnaire as to whether they have worn masks then you know the kind of authoritarian type um drives personality type kind of thing might be more likely to say that they have worn a mask, even if they don't. Right. If someone is presented Mm -hmm. with a kind of questionnaire, then oftentimes they, the way that they present the, their information is usually a little bit skewed. It's not always, yeah, that's, that's the case with nutrition research anyway. Right. So you ask someone their diet over the past kind of two months and they will always overestimate their healthy foods and mm-hmm. underestimate the bad foods so you know even if it's not 100% correct and even if they didn't wear a mask all the time um there's a high likelihood that many of them probably still did wear a mask right and even if they didn't wear it as much as they say that they did they were still probably mask wearers and so yeah. what that very so- much would indicate is yeah
0: Yeah. And I mean, because the fact of the matter is that this is probably a relatively good indication of how people are wearing masks, like regardless of whether or not they were being 100% truthful in how often they were wearing masks, it probably is a good indication of even the people who are kind of vociferously mask wearing, this would be probably how they wear masks. So even if like what I'm saying, what I'm basically saying is that the people who said that they always wear masks are probably wearing them as much as people who do always wear masks, always being in quotes, um, wear them. I don't know if that's coming across properly. I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say is that anybody who would say I always wear a mask, they the people okay. in the study who said that would reflect the people out in the world who say that they always wear a mask. So what is basically showing is regardless of whether... The people are, um, you know, wearing them correctly and everything like that. That is how people are wearing them. So the way that society is wearing masks is what is what is reflected in the study. I guess that's what I'm I'm trying to say.
2: Well, an interesting part of that study is they talked about how the study also demonstrates that under 4% of the case patients became sick with the virus even though they never wore a mask or face yeah. covering.
0: Yeah. I mean is anybody really surprised by the the results of this like assuming as you're saying Elliot assuming that it's actually true um are we surprised by it like of all the number of shows that we've done that has have shown that masks are really completely ineffective like that the size of the particles that they're trying to, to stop, like the aerosolized particles of um, viruses get through those masks, no problem. Like, absolutely no problem. The only thing that those masks can stop are like big globs of spit, essentially, which is not the main way that COVID is, is traveling. You know, in the, in, the, in a, a Mercola article um, that was called What Will It Take for Masks and Face Shields to End? um he was going through um, the, the way like you know how, how these masks um, how effective these masks are essentially. And what he said was that SARS COV2 has a diameter between 0.06 and 0.14 microns, um, and they can filter particles as small as 0.3 microns. And just trying to find where it says actually how big. Um, I can't find it now. The, the the point being that SARS-CoV-2 is actually smaller than that. And, sorry, I read that wrong. Okay, what it is is that SARS-CoV-2 has a diameter of point zero six and 0.14 microns. Whereas the mask can only stop things 0.3 microns or larger. So it mm-hmm. is, you know, orders of magnitude smaller. So it can get through no problem. And the other thing is that the... Um, like, first of all, the World Health Organization has said that, they a, put out a guidance memo that said that uh, there is no direct evidence from studies on COVID-19 and in healthy people in the community on the effectiveness of universal masking of healthy people in the community to prevent infection with respiratory viruses, including COVID-19. So you've got it directly from the, the WHO there. Yeah,
2: the CDC published a similar paper. Mm-hmm. Our systematic review found no significant effect of face masks on the transmission of laboratory confirmed influenza. Yeah. And, and I think we reported on that back in March, I feel yeah. like we were quoting. I think the most surprising thing about the uh, article that you're talking about from The Federalist uh, is the fact that the CDC actually came okay. out and said this. I, I was more surprised yeah. by that than anything.
0: Yeah, totally. And speaking of the CDC, they were uh, more on that in that uh, Mercola article. Actually, they um, talk about how uh, the CDC actually had up on their website that on their, their there's a section of their website called "How COVID nineteen spreads," and that page mentioned aerosol transmission. So that basically means these tiny, tiny micro particles. That's like they said on that page that this is thought to be the main way the virus spreads. And then all of a sudden, one day that disappeared from their website because it also said on that page that viruses in aerosolized form can travel farther than six feet, you know, and And that's the whole.
1: Masks masks do not protect against that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So why did all of a sudden this information disappear from their webpage? Gee, I wonder. Because then it would mean that masks are 100% useless, and so is uh, so is the six foot distance. And what uh, what is it? One meter? 1. 1.5 meters? Um, yeah. It's just that th- those those precautions are entirely useless. So instead of saying, "Oh, guys, we made a mistake. Don't bother wearing masks. Don't bother with the uh, six foot distance rule because they don't make a difference," they just removed it from their website. Good job,
1: guys. Yeah, there's there's a uh there's a very good video, um, and it's, I think they're using, <clears throat> using like a special kind of camera. They're using these models. Um, I can't remember exactly what kind of like particles it is, but they've got a way of basically measure, measuring the aerosols that, that, that come out. And, and what they're doing is they're looking at the face shields and they're looking at this kind of standard masks that ordinary people would wear. Um, And what they show is that after one exhalation, just one exhalation, you've got this very, very gradual dispersion of these aerosols traveling (laughs) across the entire room. Right. These masks, these uh, these uh, these these face shields that they're doing. They're doing absolutely nothing. Um, It's one thing to read. Kind of the science behind that and say oh okay well this micron and that micron and all of that kind of stuff theoretically but then actually seeing it Mm -hmm. on on video is is something else as well It's something else entirely because you can you can see that actually these things are doing no good whatsoever they do not protect against viruses they do not protect against these kinds of things um and that's probably really the main reason why whether the people in that in that most recent study whether they were being 100 percent truthful or not doesn't really matter exactly because we know that that is the truth and that actually many of the people who do get the virus in fact i would not be surprised and i think that this is what the research will probably show is that people who wear masks are more likely to get the virus right is that they're more likely not only to get the virus but actually more likely to get many other kinds of infections and probably diseases right because when we look at what they're fundamentally doing, not only are you not protecting against uh, getting a virus or spreading a virus, but what you're also doing is you're preventing your body's own ability to get rid of viral particles, to get rid of bacteria, to get rid of potentially infectious agents mm. through the lungs, through the nasal cavity, et cetera. Um, and when you do block that, then... or because you're reducing kind of the oxygen flow and the, and the, um, the airflow, you are inevitably rebreathing those things in, uh, you're bypassing the kind of innate detoxification mechanism of the lungs and kind of consistently re-exposing yourself aside from causing massive oxygen deprivation, which is terrible for cells everywhere in the body. Right. And that's including the immune system. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, the
0: fact that those aerosol particles can stay in the air, just floating around for hours, apparently. It's kind of like... (laughs) It's just all these measures that they're putting in place to try and mitigate exposure are nonsense. Just absolute nonsense. There is no mitigating exposure. You are going to get exposed. And when you look at how virulent and deadly this COVID is that is to say, not at all, you realize that it doesn't matter. Like, the idea of mitigating exposure is nonsense, but the act—the idea that you have to actually try to do that, if you are a normal, healthy person, is also nonsense. So the whole thing from the ground up is just complete stupidity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at the, the infection rates, I mean, it will probably there'll be more and more studies coming out over the next couple of months, over the next year or so which might even demonstrate a lower kind of mortality rate but um, from a study, we've probably discussed it already on one of the shows but a study which was published in September 2nd of this year in the Annals of Internal Medicine uh, was looking at the fatality rate or the fatality. For instance, the ratio between how many people get it and then how many people actually die from the infection. Mm. Um, and the last estimate, or based on the data that they had it's at the start of September, the fatality ratio was 0.26 percent. Right, it's less than one percent. Less than one percent. Now, <laughs> for those younger than forty, right? For those younger than forty, which is you think about it most of the workforce right a lot of the workforce a lot of the people who are going out day to day who are going who are going to work a job who are doing all these kind of activities generally around the age of 40 below 40 right and so the infection fatality ratio is 0.01 percent 0.01 percent okay now those over the age of 60 which is the minority, right, those over the age of 60, the fatality ratio is 1.71%, all right? So if you compare that to influenza, that's 0.8%. So technically, if you're over 60, then getting COVID um, might be a little bit more dangerous, slightly, slightly more dangerous, right, than getting kind of a typical flu. Um, I would imagine maybe one of the well i'm i 'm not sure what that is, but either way, for the large majority of people it 's less than one percent it's it 's way safer than getting the, getting influenza right yeah, and yet no one shuts down countries for influenza, no one makes you wear masks for influenza um so it would seem at this point with all of this information that 's come out i mean even you 've got big old organizations, international bodies, you got the CDC come out and say, okay, so, uh, you know, these, these things don't really work. Then the question is, why are we still being forced to play along? Is this got, has this got anything to do with health at this point? I mean, did it ever have anything to do with health? That's a real question that we need to be asking. And if no one's asking that at the moment, then I don't know if there's much hope for those people. You know, will they ever be able to to, to see things as, as they are or a little bit more objectively? Because, you know, as we've been talking about since March, um, this thing has been a farce the whole way through. But now it's just even more clear. It's just even the picture is pretty perfect at this moment that this is not about the public health crisis mm-hmm. that we're led to believe it is. There is no public health crisis. Question is, what is it about?
2: preparing you for vaccination warp speed. (laughs) I
0: think that's true. I think that's true. And I think that they even like, you know, the fact, this makes me think that maybe we're like playing into their hands to a certain extent because I think they actually like this kind of pushback that they get, as long as it's in a controllable manner or like in a small enough manner. If there's enough people out there complaining about the masks and causing a ruckus about the masks, I think it's going to push more people, and what they're at least, I think what they're anticipating is that it's going to push more people towards the vaccine. Like, there, mm-hmm. people are just getting so, like, oh, God, these stupid masks, they don't even work. This is so stupid. That once the alternative of the vaccine, it's like, hey, everybody come get the vaccine because then you don't have to wear those stupid masks anymore. They'll probably get more people on board going, oh, thank God. I don't have to bother with this stupid mask anymore. I'll just, I'm just going to go get vaccinated wouldn't surprise me if that's their, their thinking on it anyway.
2: Well, uh, one thing that Rancourt did say in the interview that you did with them, Doug, was that it's inducing psychological stress. And, you know, Elliot, maybe you could speak more to about what happens to the immune system when you're chronically stressed. And so especially if you're living in a state or a country where you have to Wear it all the time to keep your job or to travel, whether it's the subway or public transportation or grocery shopping or doctor, whatever, you know, slowly but surely it's wearing away on people's psyche. So the CDC comes out and they say, well, it doesn't really do anything, but you're like, I got to wear it anyway because it's a mandate. And, uh, you know, certain states are much more intense and enforcing of these mandates and others not so much. So I'm in the South and they really love their freedom in the South. And so there are mandates, uh, in the community that I work, you know, you can't walk on the sidewalk without it. At one point it was said that the police would be enforcing that, uh, that turns out to not be true. The police cannot, enforce that you know uh but there are police on the streets walking around again to cause psychological stress so you see a police officer you know it's a state mandate you think oh shit I don't have my mask you know what I mean and then you're stressed out about it even though you know it doesn't work so I think it's a mind trip that is happening too like you said, to lead to the inevitability of, well, I won't have to be stressed about getting a ticket or getting cited if I just get the vaccine, you know, uh, what that even means. We've speculated, but, uh, how they can tell, you know, uh, did you get it? Did you not get it? Uh, maybe you have like a badge. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, you know, so Community passport. Yeah. Um, So some places are much more intense about it. I know flying, it's pretty much, you can't fly without the mask. And uh, I think American Airlines recently said, well, if you don't wanna wear the mask on the plane, you'll never fly with us again. So you know what I mean? Which means that they're probably documenting people for sure, you know what I mean? So I don't know, It's, it's it's really getting into that territory of messing with people's psychological state, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think like, you know, you mentioned the immune system and one thing I was thinking on a past show we did all about um, the unintended consequences of the lockdown. I think that's what it was called or something like that. Um, one thing we talked about in that show was how there was a, currently a study happening to see if current, they're going to watch current babies, babies who have been born uh, close to or during the lockdown, <clears throat> excuse me, to see if they develop more allergies because they're going to be growing up in a very sterile environment you know with all the hand sanitizer and the scrubbing everything down you know killing off any microbes that kind of thing um you know and we talked about this how that actually can lead to by not having your baby exposed to the um microorganisms that are in its environment the in the immune system, can't—it's um, not introduced to the immune system, so it can't develop immunity to those things. You're interfering with the uh, the infant's ability to distinguish self from not self. Well, I'm thinking that the masks are doing the same thing, right? I mean, the masks do—they are BS in the fact that they don't really, um, you know, um, filter out viruses. But there's lots of things in the environment that probably are larger um, that it is filtering out like bacteria, for one thing. And these are all things that if um, we as individuals are wearing these masks, not just infants and children, but even adults as well, you are cutting yourself off from that connection to your environment. It's almost like being like a bubble boy or something like that. It's putting yourself into this, um, this cage, essentially, where you're not in contact with the environment. And, you know, we don't know how much, how important that really is. I mean, science is discovering more and more how important it is, how your body is in constant communication with the environment. So if you're cutting off part of the information that your body is receiving from the environment, that is detrimental to you, for sure. The immune system is one way. There may be others that we don't even know about.
1: Yeah, indeed um there's so many potential things that could go wrong in mm-hmm. this story right and it seems like anyone who even thinks to ask that question is um is labeled as a, a science denier mm-hmm. it's like what they do do anyone who who questions the man made theory of global warming you know slap them mm-hmm. with a, a label climate denier whereas anyone who questions the um the the, the safety of masks rightly so and it shouldn't even be questioned is there's a quite an abundance of scientific evidence showing that these things are they have many 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 detrimental side of, uh, consequences physiologically speaking um they are kind of being labeled as science deniers even even world round world-renowned kind of experts mm-hmm. people who specialize in the field of neurophysiology for instance you know Mm -hmm. like neurologists anyone who uh genuinely knows about the effects of oxygen deprivation on the brain Mm -hmm. probably a much deeper level than the large majority of of anyone else that this is their their medical speciality um even world renowned um kind of uh, neurologists are talking about this there was a one article on salt and um an interview which had been translated with a world-renowned neurologist. Her name was Margareta Greets Brisson. I think that's how you pronounce her name. And she essentially describes how uh, the effects of oxygen deprivation on the brain, many cases are permanent. Many cases are permanent and how this is particularly detrimental for children and adolescents, um, and this, there's kind of a variety of reasons for this. One of the reasons is because the brain activity is kind of, the brain is operating at a higher rate, right, in in the young. And that's primarily because they, 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 uh, they're they new to the world. They need to take in as much as they can and process as much as they can. And they're building a, a brain and a central nervous system. They're constantly forming new neural connections and things. And how the effects of oxygen deprivation on um, on that kind of brain development this could or can be according to her uh is is permanent and it cannot be reversed in the way that it can in a fully formed adult's brain now even in a fully formed adult's brain if the oxygen deprivation goes on for a long enough period of time then that is also irreversible um and so what she also speaks about is how ordinarily so it Ox- oxygen deprivation, hypoxia, hypercapnia, uh, excess of carbon dioxide, lack of oxygen. This will, in an acute kind of, in uh, an acute setting, this will produce several different kinds of symptoms. So you get headaches, drowsiness, dizziness, issues with concentration, all of those kind of typical signs and symptoms. But when this goes on for a long period of time, when this becomes chronic then those symptoms, those warning signs, they disappear. And the brain somewhat gets used to it. Now, that doesn't mean that the cells are not being damaged. It just means that the symptoms, there's somewhat of a kind of symptomatic adaptation. So someone does not remain in this kind of physiologically stressed out state where they're aware that they are being oxygen deprived. Their brain cells are still aware. Their brain cells are still affected by this. And so what this is doing, I mean just from a, a very, very, very basic standpoint is that when cells don't have enough oxygen, they, cannot, they can no longer generate energy in an efficient way. Okay, so they still need to make energy, but that becomes very much less efficient and you end up with an increased amount of what are called reactive oxygen species. And these are basically reactive molecules which go around stealing electrons of other molecules. And when they steal electri- uh, electrons, these are referred to as free radicals. Now, when a molecule in the body, in the brain, in, in kind of biochemistry, when a molecule has its electron uh, ripped apart from it, then generally that changes the function of that molecule. It can change the, the integrity of the molecule, for instance. So a protein, if you have a structural protein in the cell, then when that is oxidized, it's called cool. when you have a free radical, which basically goes around stealing electrons that protein can be permanently disabled. Same as fats in the brain, the brain cells, when you get oxidized fats, this leads to a variety of other different problems. So basically what this causes is brain damage, uh, neural cell death, uh, structural brain damage, damage to the lipids, the proteins, the all of the kind of different components of the brain. And when that happens, that's essentially what we know of as aging. This is the aging brain. Um, this... In in severe cases, this will lead to things like Alzheimer's or dementia or memory loss, neurological dysfunction, multiple sclerosis, all of this other kind of stuff. Um, So it seems that in a very similar way, what is happening is that by purposefully wearing a mask, one is kind of, if you look at the cellular level, one is increasing the rate of aging exponentially. Mm-hmm. um and you might end up with this situation where a 30 year old if they wore a mask and they were oxygen deprived for a long uh kind of chronically for a long enough period of time they could end up with the brain of an 80 year old you know by the time they were kind of early 30s yeah um now uh oxygen deprivation when it is acute and when it goes on for long enough when it's severe enough someone dies right so that's it's it's serious stuff right <laughs> your yeah. body needs oxygen this is no small matter so she, she in that interview she was basically highlighting the extreme dangers of this kind of public policy and how who is you know who is going to be held responsible for this
0: yeah one thing that she pointed out actually that I that I thought was was quite good is that she said that neurodegenerative diseases take years to decades to develop. So if today you forget your phone number, the breakdown in your brain would have already started 20 to 30 years ago. So I think that that's one thing that people don't seem to understand, right? They put on a mask and they're like, oh yeah, I felt a bit dizzy, but it's no big deal. I got used to it. They don't recognize that what they're doing is like, you know, they're they're damaging their future selves, right? It's like you might not notice this for, like she says, 20 to 30 years. But I mean, essentially, if you needed a more literal dumbing down of the population. I don't know that you could do better than masks, you know?
2: Yeah, it seems to be working in concert with also the social isolation of just really reframing people's brain. And if what ellie is saying you know that it's not working optimally it's a lot harder for people to make decisions and you tend to just go along to get along because of the psychological stress induced as well so it's like a a cascading effect that just uh, keeps building you know
1: well it's interesting right because if you look at the the effects of something like oxygen deprivation when cells are in a state of kind of compromised energy supply, right? So you've got lots of different parts of the brain. Now you've got certain parts of the brain which are involved in the stress response, okay? When those areas of the brain involved in modulating, regulating the stress response, when they are deprived of energy, when they're deprived of oxygen, energy, oxygen, synonymous in this context, right? When they don't have enough energy to function, they can become hyperreactive. You can lose the ability... You see, this is what I often see in people who have long-term vitamin deficiencies, for instance. It leads to a similar situation where you, you think you need oxygen to make energy, but you also need nutrients and things to make energy. So, so uh, long-term severe nutrient deficiency is, is quite similar in many respects to an oxygen deficiency with the effects that it has on cells. And oftentimes people with these kind of disorders affect the nervous system. They lose the ability to properly um to be able to turn on and turn off the stress response and modulate the different balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic so what you find is that sometimes these people are in a what is referred to as a sympathetic dominant state right so they're constantly in this kind of mild fight or flight response where they can't properly turn that off and they don't really have the internal resources to be able to to bounce back from that okay now, if you put that in the context of uh, like Martha Stout's model, with the, the paranoia switch, about how um, the powers that be will use kind of collectively traumatic events and 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 let's say capitalize on this 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 uh, method of uh, continually introducing small different traumas or stresses into a population, and what that does is it kind of keep someone in this heightened response it means that they're less able to um they have less capacity to critically and analyze inform- information there um they're less able to kind of decide what is and what isn't true they're they're kind of in a in a defensive fearful state let's say well yeah you have this constant fear mongering in the news that we've been getting for you know how many months now about the increased death rates or increased cases and all of this other kind of stuff, we've got it coming from that angle. But then also, if the brain is oxygen-deprived, then that's further, further going to um, hamper someone's ability to properly um, kind of, yeah, modulate or regulate that internal stress response. And so, any way that you look at it, it's a it's a really a, a recipe for disaster. And it's pretty unique because, you know, in the past, we've had it all through the media and all of the kind of media manipulation and things, but now we've actually got it directly on a physiological level. Not only is it the toxins in the air, the pollution, the food that we eat, and the malnutrition, but it's actually depriving people of oxygen, and that's probably the worst thing that they could possibly do. So, yeah, it's it's pretty unique situation. Boy, is it.
0: Well, according to Bill Gates, this isn't going to end anytime soon. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he said life will only return to normal only after the second generation of COVID vaccines are rolled out. So, you know, even though we don't even have the first generation yet, he's predicting things (laughs) won't go back to normal until at least, you know, second generation vaccines. He just keeps on pushing it too. Before he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, spring of, uh, I think it was spring of 2021. Then he pushed that back to 2022. And now he's saying, oh, yeah, it's not going to be like, you know, 10 years before things are back to normal. So we all better get used to these masks, guys, because Bill Gates says they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So Billy
1: knows. (laughs) So if he's saying that we need to wait for the second generation of COVID vaccines, is that him basically admitting that the first generation is it's not gonna is work, bunk, right? So why would we get the first generation? Why don't we just wait until the second generation? Well, well because
2: they need to test it on everyone to see if exactly.
1: <laughs> the uh the second
0: generation is for the survivors. The survivors yeah. of the first generation. the
1: lucky five percent exactly
0: yeah Mm
2: -hmm, my lord i know we're laughing and we probably shouldn't be but you really have to have a sense of humor about it (laughs) yeah
0: you do i mean bill gates i'm gonna laugh at bill gates until the day i die he's just a comic figure him and his sweaters
2: him and his vaccine hesitancy
0: (laughs) (laughs) well in another kind of amusing uh headline there was uh you know the cnn anchor chris cuomo mm-hmm. um so apparently the uh um the gateway pundit which is a conservative uh, news outlet um, dug up uh, a letter that was sent to him by his uh, property manager that threatened him with a fine if he continues to walk through uh his property without a face mask on And this is a guy, I mean, I don't know how many people out there are familiar with Chris Chris Cuomo. I don't think I've ever actually watched him, but apparently he is a guy who is constantly harping on about the masks on CNN. So they dig up this this letter from the property manager, says that, hey, buddy, if you keep on not wearing a mask on the property, you're going to get a fine. Yeah, there's the letter there. Damien just pulled it up. I don't know if you can read that or not, but it's pretty amusing. Just goes to show that these... Elite, um, you know, they its its all a game, right? It's all completely a game. They go on the air. I and do say as I one say, thing. not as I do. Exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah. Oh, and there's one more image, Damien, You want to show it? I think it's from the UK. Um, if you guys know if that's correct or not, uh, uh, it's a public sign, what like at a bus stop or something. Uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Which one are you? Guilt tripping people. Yeah, totally. What it's all about.
2: Yeah, there's even a new term called a mask hole. Somebody who won't wear a mask. (laughs) They're being a mask hole. (laughs) Mask
0: hole. (laughs) That's so stupid. You know, I was pretty pissed off when they, um, uh, what would you call it? Co-opted the COVIDiot title. Like when Mm -hmm. when that first came out, we were calling people COVIDiots. They were the people who believed in the COVID nonsense. And then they kind of co-opted it and said, no, it's the people who don't believe the COVID stuff. They're the COVIDiots. And that's how it ended up. I was like, aw, they stole our term.
2: Yeah. The memes are entertaining for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that's what 2020 is going to be known for. (laughs) The memes. (laughs) <laughs> oh. Well, on that humorous note. <laughs> uh I think that pretty much is uh is our show for today unless you guys had anything to add.
2: No, I mean, definitely if you can get away with not wearing it, at least don't wear it in your car while you're driving alone or at home with your family. You know, I mean, I know I've had people say to me, Oh, I wore it in the store and I realized I was driving down the road with it on my face before I took it off. You might be suffering from a little bit of oxygen deprivation. So maybe stick a sticky note on your car to say, Take that mask off while you're alone.
0: I rip mine off as soon as as I get out of a store. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, today. We will have another show for you next week. Um, Until then, keep fit, have fun, get away with as little mask wearing as you possibly can. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Bye.